0: Visit hotwatercasino.com or sparesortcasino.com. Good day, and welcome to A Call to Consciousness with author and host Brian McClure. Brian and his guests share their personal stories to empower you in knowing that you too are the difference makers in our world. Now, here's your host, Brian McClure. Oh, I've
1: been smiling Dreaming about the world of one. And Hello, this is your host, Brian McClure, and welcome to a call to consciousness. This show is brought to you by the Universal Flag Companies. The Universal Flag and Symbol represent the oneness of everyone and everything. Recently, the Bread for the World Institute reported that there were 842 million people in the world who are hungry, and the numbers are rising. In the United States there are roughly 35 million people who go hungry or are food insecure and the numbers are rising here also. So why are more people worldwide going hungry in each new day? According to the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations the increase is as a result of high food prices. The World Bank reports that global food prices have risen 83 percent over the past three years. As of March this year, The average world wheat prices have risen 130% above their level just one year ago. Soy prices were 87% higher, and rice 74%. These increased costs of food have created food riots in some countries, others have had political fallout, and elsewhere, people have been killed and injured all in the name of that basic human need, food. As humans, we can't live without food and water. According to the U.N., United Nations Food and Agriculture Director, no single institution or country will be able to resolve this crisis. Donor countries, international institutions, governments of developing countries, civil society and the private sector have an important role to play in the global fight against hunger. So my question to you is this. If we were one of those hundreds of millions who are hungry, who who would we be looking to to help us. If we were living right where we're living today, who is it that we would depend on to come to our rescue? I put world hunger in Google and I found hundreds of links to anti-hunger and poverty organizations. And I saw that there were many, many souls out there who are helping others to try to curb the food problems that we have. And I'm sure that those of us who lend a hand and reach out to our brothers and sisters have remembered the interdependence that we share with everyone and everything. The one thing that I see lacking is the universal flag symbol, which represents the inclusion of, the oneness of, everyone and everything. It represents the truth of who we are. It represents that we are one with all, that we are divine presence, that we are truth, we are eternal, and that we are interdependent on all. The Universal Flag acts as a signpost and helps us remember those simple truths, those truths that resonate deep within all of us. In order to help our world to change the paradigm that we presently live in, I encourage you, number one, to purchase a Universal Flag or symbol today. I also encourage you to donate to the Universal Flag Foundation, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that has been set up to help spread The universal flag symbol throughout our world. Next month I will be in Uganda and Sierra Leone speaking with officials in the Ministry of Education, speaking with the parliamentary representatives, and meeting with the ABC for all project leaders and groups. I'll be talking with youth organizations and women's organizations. And the universal flag will be with me everywhere. I encourage you to use the universal flag and to take it everywhere with you into your communities, into your schools, into your state, and start to spread the truth of our oneness. For more information, you can visit the universal flag at www.universalflag.org. A call to consciousness tonight is pleased to welcome Corky Hale. Corky is considered to be one of the finest jazz harpists in the world and you've heard her on the piano everywhere. From the 50s through today, Corky has amassed a long list of performances and recording credentials. She's been on television shows and in concerts with Liberace, Sinatra, Streisand, Brooks, Bennett, Billie Holiday, Harry James, Peggy Lee, James Brown, George Michael, and the list goes on and on. But on the other side of the coin, she has always been an activist. As a freshman in college at the University of Wisconsin, Corky was one of the first and certainly one of the few white students to join the NAACP. She was a birth control teacher and planned at Planned Parenthood in New York. She works for a number of charities, such as the Los Angeles Free Clinic, and she is the founder of Angel Harvest, an organization which redistributes unused foods from restaurants, hotels, and events to the hungry and needy people of greater Los Angeles. Corky, welcome to the show.
2: Um, I would like to speak about the uh, food thing before we get into any of the uh, musical things. Um, I moved out here in 1989. Um, I more or less grew up in L.A. Well, I I went to UCLA, but uh, I'm from a very small farm town in Illinois, which people don't seem to believe. And I came out here to UCLA. But then I moved um, to New York. And in 1982, I read about a woman who was operating out of the third floor of an old church near me, and she was going around the neighborhood to the restaurants uh, at the end of the evening, gathering up maybe the bread that was left or soup or, you know, these are not leftovers. These Mm were things that were not used in the kitchen, and I began working with her so that when I uh, moved out here in 1989, I first went to uh, work down at the food bank, but then I decided to bring uh, this woman out. I'm not going to mention her name now because... Um, unfortunately, things seem to have fallen apart for a number of years out here. Yes, I, I did bring her out to fund. Uh, Angel Harvest with me, and we mm-hmm. we had uh, trip, uh, trucks that were donated from Penske. ABC very kindly gave us an office in Century City, and we were doing great. We had uh, something like 39 agencies, and also, um, you know, not every agency uh, takes prepared food. They had to have refrigeration, so we found the various agencies of, um, you know— uh, uh alcoholics and and drug uh and and kids that uh ran away and and uh there are a lot of agencies out here so for a number of years we were doing very well we were picking up even from the movie studios uh the commissaries everywhere and then i guess it started maybe to fall apart after nine eleven because the studios closed their gates to us and mm-hmm. um the woman who was working with me i'm i'm not really sure what happened she moved down to alabama to try to open a soup kitchen there and she has sort of drifted out now uh angel harvest is not doing now what i i would like it to do and i'm i'm wondering if we could maybe get it started again because uh it was great we were picking up there's there is so much food wasted here uh, that we say, um, if we could pick that up, we could uh, feed every homeless person in this city.
1: And that's something that's very important. It's kind of where we started tonight. Well,
2: that's why I was quite interested. Incidentally, uh, this is the only radio station I listen to. I'm a huge fan of uh, Randy Rhodes. She is excellent. A, uh, I'm crazy about her. And, <laughs> and anyway, um, I, I and then my office during the day, so I can't really put. The, uh, the radio on all day, but um, I love this station because, of course, it has my beliefs. Can I say what I want to say on this station?
1: You know what? You can probably say what you want to say, but what I'd like to do yeah. in, in in following with, you know, a call to consciousness, which is really what this show is about, is maybe right. maybe get, you know, some information about that small town that you grew up in and, and what life was like for you as you grew up in, okay. in that Illinois city.
2: Um, I am one of those unbelievably fortunate people i read everybody's story and i read everybody that's made it in the music business and and the movies and everything and it seems like everybody had the um, unhappiest or or impoverished childhood and how they made it out um i have to tell you i think i had the world's happiest childhood my parents were married for 58 years um my mom was from uh, St. Louis, and my dad was from the Ozarks, mm-hmm. and uh, they they originally met in, in St. Louis, and I have a younger brother who is a uh, criminal lawyer out in Santa Monica. And um, so we, we had this unbelievable childhood. It was like the big white house up on the hill with three acres, and uh, at at three years old, I um, I went to the piano, and I started picking out um, Happy Birthdays, so they started giving the kids some piano lessons, and then... At seven years old, uh, I was accepted at the Chicago Conservatory, and I I have a full classical piano background. I laugh when people always say, oh, it's Corky Hale the Harpist, (laughs) because um, I always think of myself, you know, as a pianist. As you mentioned, I I was Billie Holiday's piano player three years before she passed away. Mm -hmm. Um, But... um, so, I mean I I was a this very spoiled kid and I, I saw a harpist at the Chicago Conservatory, so when I was eight my dad bought me a little harp. Anyway, that um is, is pretty well, much my story.
1: How far how far from Chicago did you live?
2: A hundred and thirty five miles away, right on the Wisconsin border. Six six miles from the Wisconsin border. And um, So how
1: did you get down to your your lessons at the conservatory?
2: Um, I told you I was spoiled had me driven in every week to Chicago. <laughs> and incidentally, sometimes though, of course, it was a lovely train ride, about a three-hour train ride, and naturally now there's no more train or train station. Um, it's very, very sad. And uh I haven't been back in about five years or so. I used to my mother and I used to go back about every five years. My mother passed away five my folks moved out here incidentally in the in the fifties.
1: You know, I read about that. Yeah. I wanted to get into that a little bit. Well, I thought it was pretty interesting. When you Yeah you know, when you went to your senior year in high school mm-hmm. you wanted to move out and, and, and move to Hollywood, didn't you?
2: Well, um I can. I don't know. I don't know how truthful I can be on this station. Would
1: you, I think you do can you want be, truthful. Me to be truthful? Absolutely.
2: Okay. Well, you read that. I, I think I was the first white student at uh, the University of Wisconsin. I only lasted there one year. Mm-hmm. But um, when you grow up in a small town like that, uh, the girls you grow up with—that's your group, right? So they're like, you know, ten of us or whatever. And when we finished our junior year in high school, uh, we were going into our senior year, and one of the girls said, well, we uh, we've rented a, a cottage up at the lake for a week. And I said, oh, that sounds like fun. And she turned to me, and she said, um, gee, you, you can't go. I said, oh, yeah, my, my dad will let me go. She said, no, it's restricted. Um, I didn't know what that meant. So I went home, and I said that to my dad, um, because, yes, being Jewish when you uh, are in a small town, and there's mm-hmm. very, very few Jews— um, Uh, So I I said that to my dad, I said, Daddy, you'll let me go, because one of the girls said something about a a restricted, and my dad was furious, and he said, I I won't let you go back to that school next year. So my dad sent me away to a fancy girls' school uh, called Stevens College in Missouri, Mm -hmm. and that's where I spent my senior year. So um, I was involved in all this stuff over at the University of Missouri. I was playing with the bands and everything. Oh, I I will tell you one funny thing. The uh, harp teacher at Stevens hated me because I was playing (laughs) jazz on the harp. Oh, my God. she was furious. So
1: so you were playing jazz, clear back then?
2: Yeah, incidentally, in my hometown, you wanted to know about my hometown, um, all he ever played on the radio was um, Gene Autry and Sons of the Pioneers and so forth and so on. And when I was about 14... I heard this band called Stan Kenton, and then I heard this band. Um, oh, what was the other one? Oh, you know, the other famous jazz band. And I thought, wow, that's the kind of music I like. <laughs>
1: so,
2: but um, so now I, I finished. Uh, the, so, so the harp teacher hated me. Actually, I was playing jazz on the harp. How disgraceful! And uh, she gave me an F. So of course oh, that my. gave me a half point from graduating high school, and my parents ran down from Illinois. You can't do that, so she then raised me to a D. I D. Got, I got—I think I got A in anthropology and A in everything else, but, <laughs> but F in harp. And what I love to say, oh, I'm so bad, I love to say um, two years later I was in Hollywood making a fortune, and she was never heard from again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, that is that is just so, the way that life is, though.
2: Well, anyway, um, so, uh, so a- after this year, I graduated from high school and I said to my dad, "Well, I'm going to Hollywood and get into the music business." My dad said, "What did you say? I don't think they heard you right." <laughs> so they sent me to the University of Wisconsin, which was like you know an hour or so away from home. Sure. And I lasted the same thing. I, I was there for a year. I, I was in you know involved in all the music stuff. And then then again, I said to my dad, "That's it. I'm running away if you don't let me go to Hollywood."
1: So how did you join the NAACP?
2: Why not? I mean, I, I was always involved in in all kinds of things. I remember at that time seeing the movie Pinky and being very disturbed by that. Um, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I just I don't, I've always been very very political. That's why I listen to this station. You know, I I've been working for the Obama campaign all year long.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh we're going my husband and I are going to the convention. I'm very excited about that.
1: Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun.
2: And um so I don't know. I've just always worked politically and mm-hmm. uh I, I well you know,
1: had a you had a tremendous consciousness did you get that from your parents
2: um, well I, I don't know I mean my folks were very good people. My dad was very charitable and uh i i don't know uh, my incidentally my dad was one of ten and my mother was one of five and uh we just had a one i had this wonderful upbringing um with all the relatives you know I have a thousand cousins and um no, I think most of my aunts and uncles are gone, but I have cousins, first, second, third cousins everywhere, and I always—it's a joke. Like I have to behave myself because, oh, one time when I was in high school, I—I I think I won something—the state contest on piano or something—and I was in Champaign, Illinois, and I walked out of my hotel room, and who walked out of the room next to me? But one of my cousins. <laughs> so, so I always have to say I have to behave. My I had to behave myself in those days.
1: So you lasted one year in college, and
2: then I. Compromise was uh, my my dad's and my mother said, All right, okay, here's the compromise. We will drive you out to LA and we will enroll you at UCLA Naturally thinking that their daughter would be behave herself at school and what have you. But um I I was living in a I guess some sorority house and I, I hadn't been at UCLA very long and one of the girls there said, Wow, my dad Produces the I think it was the Freddie Martin Show on Channel 5. And she said, I never heard anybody play jazz on a harp. And you play piano, and you play flute, and you sing, and blah, 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 blah. So <laughs> we, um, we got a U-Haul, and we got a bunch of fraternity boys, and we put the harp on the U-Haul, took it down to the station, and they put me on the show. And now I was on the show every week. So um, one day this man called up, and he said, my name is George, and I play the violin. And my brother, Walter, plays the piano, and we're starting a little TV show at the Music Hall Theater, which is still there, you know, on Wilshire and Mm Doheny. And, of course, those were the Liberace brothers. And um, I joined that show, and, of course, at that time, I guess Liberace became, like, the biggest entertainer in the world. And he was my best friend. He was the best guy. He was just wonderful. And I had three years of the most exciting. We played 44 states and... uh, Liberace's mother was Polish and his father was Italian, so no matter what city we went to, the uh, Polish <laughs> and the Italians fought with each other to see who could make the biggest party. And boy, did we have a did we have a great time!
1: <laughs> now, how long did it take for you to tell your parents that you weren't going to college?
2: Well, as I recall, I think one day they may have. Uh, Looked on the TV. I think I'm trying to remember exactly, but I think they looked on the TV and said, "You know something? I don't think our daughter's in school." <laughs> and uh, they moved out, and then my my younger brother moved out, and he went to uh, UCLA too. And um,
1: so, you know, as you were traveling, I mean, you were just 18 or 19 years old, weren't you? Oh, sure. And, and I read that you got an apartment of your own in a big white convertible.
2: Oh, it was, I was terrible. You know, all of a sudden, I was making. All this money. Gee, I don't know what PR guy <laughs> gave you all this wild information.
1: We dig hard and oh, long. Oh my We goodness. find the real stuff.
2: Well, I do. I have a lovely PR guy named Steve Moyer, and I uh, wait till I see Steve. Steve, <laughs> what did you give to this station? Anyway, so I was terrible. I, I was, you know, suddenly I was making all this money, and I, I just, I couldn't throw it away fast, and I was horrible. I bought, <laughs> you know, big. Convertibles and I, oh! I threw a a humongous party for Liberace, and my mother said, "You're throwing all your money away." I said, "Oh, but am I ever having a good time?" Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, so that was it. I look back now, and I remember I, uh, I bought a. We were in Cincinnati, and um, across from our hotel was this very expensive um shop with clothes and there was a dress in the window and it was $500. I mean that must be like a 300. Oh, thousand. that
1: was expensive. And so,
2: you know, the big shot here, I just walked in and said, "Oh, please send it up to my room. I'm with Ferragamo." <laughs> and now I am I'm the joke of all my girlfriends because, you know, I don't shop. I haven't shopped. <laughs> we make a joke that that I haven't shopped in 20 years and my girlfriends give me clothes and uh they once had a birthday party for me, and everybody had to bring me some sort of an article of clothing. Um, well,
1: that's because you got that out of the way.
2: Was that it? I don't know, but I, um, yeah, I guess all my money now is going to various political things, and uh, uh, my husband and I um, rehabbed in partnership with Planned Parenthood. Beautiful. It, we named it after Mother three years ago over on um, Broadway in Manchester. Mm-hmm. And uh, we named it after Mother. It's called the, the Dorothy Hecht Health Center, and we're now serving 1,000 people a month.
1: That is fantastic. If we
2: could, I've been fighting with uh, that wonderful L.A. Times. I don't know. It seems like, you know, if somebody in La Brea breaks a foot in a car accident, that's in the paper. I have been trying desperately to get them to do an article on this beautiful, beautiful health center that uh, they tell me that, you know, if if we could get some more publicity, we could even serve 2,000 people a month. And we have great doctors and exam rooms. We specialize in women and and teenagers, but, of course, we serve some men, too. Mm -hmm. And we offer every kind of wonderful service, you know, mammograms and and er everything for uh, contraceptives, of course, and, and just everything, the one wonderful for women and, and teenagers. So I would love to get some publicity, if I can, on that, and if I could ever get the L.A. Times to do some sort of a story, even well, in the I think, health section.
1: I think we're getting some publicity right now.
2: I hope so. I, I'm very pleased to be on your show, and I'm I'm pleased. I, I really did not you know, know exactly what the FLAG program was and the fact that you are so concerned with food. And now I'm going to throw in something. We're spending, what are we spending, a day, a week, a billion dollars on sending arms and killing people and mm-hmm. so forth? Just think what we could do with that. If we could spend it on food and send it not only, you know, to Uganda and, and Darfur and, and the Sudan and everywhere else in Africa, oh, the wonderful country of Zimbabwe. Uh, we You know, get into Corky,
1: the, the world has yeah. to change the way that they view who we are. And the universal flag is the first symbol that's ever been created which really represents that oneness that we have. And if you take a look at the symbol at UniversalFlag.org, you'll see that it has waves in it. And those waves represent the illusions that we have of the ups and downs of our daily life. When you take a look at it, we're only here for a very short time. Average lifetime, 28,000 days.
2: We're not doing, we're not ending this horrible war. And we're spending that money. When, when my goodness, you you know what's going on in this country. I mean, look in L.A. We we have potholes. We have roads that should be fixed. We have people lying on the streets. We don't have proper health care. I mean, and then all the money is. I mean, uh, I. Do you work and with And so, World
1: so we're vision? part of. We're do part of. You, yes, I do. You do work but with But we World are vision? part of the change, yeah. and we change ourselves. What you're doing is you're using your resources and your ability to help change, and all we can change is ourselves in each new day, in our environment. And as we do that, we start to take care of the rest of the world. We start to remember that the only reason that any of us is here is to be in service to others in whatever gifts or ways that we can.
2: You know, that's and, a wonderful thought, but unfortunately everybody is not practicing that. People are... are so concerned with their daily lives, and a lot of them, you know, have, they got to make a living, feed their mm-hmm. family, and all of that, that not everybody can serve. And I, yes, I think, you know, a lot of the wealthy people here are, are very good and very generous and do a lot of good things, but. Um, I, I'm just concerned, and, you know, we're, we won't get into, I guess, politics too much. But it, but it's you know, political. So if we change the regime that has been running this country for eight years and wanting to go to more war, that's that's the way we can change it. We can't just keep saying, oh, we have to all work together and da-da-da-da-da. That's, you know, it's a little idealistic to, you know.
1: You know, Corky, I say that it starts with us individually. It doesn't start with anybody else. It can only start with ourselves. And we don't really teach our children from the time that they're young that they are one with everyone and everything. We teach separation in our world. Each flag that we have in each country represents a separation through borders. We have borders through race, religion, culture, creed, as you mentioned earlier. And when we start to break down those barriers, and when we have a symbol that acts as that signpost that reminds us of our oneness we can start to change our world and we change it through the children yeah we can vote yes we can vote in this election and we can continue Isn't that to vote. to
2: help us if we change the regime that unfortunately has brought this country uh, i want to tell you also that um I lived in in Rome for a number of years, and and I'm fluent in Italian, and I've taught my husband Italian. Mm -hmm. And uh, we we had a lovely apartment in Italy, which we sold last year because we haven't had enough time to spend there. But uh, I also speak French, and and so we're able to converse with the people in Europe. And I have to say it on this station. I've been going to Europe with my folks since nineteen fifty three who took me for the first time. Mm-hmm. We have never ever been and I say this awful word, but we have never been hated like we are now. And and we we must change that. We we simply must change it. I mean I won't I'm trying not to go into it too much, but I, I will tell you what, what this the president is called in Italy. He's called L'Assassino, the assassin. And I think my husband and I are, are the greatest, you know, uh, we should be in the diplomatic service because we try to talk to people and we try to tell them that we we don't want this war. We want to help people. We don't want to kill them. And uh, uh,
1: So I say uh, this. With yeah. everything that's ever happened in our world, yeah. we each are a placeholder. You know, I don't know why Bush is in office. I just know that he is, and I can't change that. I can change it at this next election. We can change what it is that we believe in. I know that everything that ever happens in our world helps us to get to where we are today. If 9-11 didn't happen, I wouldn't have finally allowed the flag to manifest through me. You know, I was very busy in my life with my own businesses and my own life and what I wanted to do, and I was certainly not interested in creating a flag to go out and take to the world and start to teach oneness. I wasn't interested in going to Africa, and I wasn't interested in helping people around the world to retake a look at who we are. But the events that happened in our world allowed me no other option when I looked at my children because I wondered what type of world they would inherit. What would my grandchildren and my grandchildren's children, what world would they inhabit if I didn't do my part? And for all of those who believe in reincarnation, what, where would I possibly be reborn into? What if I was born into Darfur in the middle of a genocide? What if I was born starving to death or I didn't have water? What world do I want to inhabit? And I realized that Gandhi was correct. If we aren't the change that we want to see in the world, how can we expect anything or anyone to change?
2: But that's, but that's you know, pretty much what I believe, but I think we have to be stronger. Uh, it's just so wonderfully idealistic to say each one of us must do this and that, but I, so far it's, you know... Also, of course, I want to help people in Africa. There's this one at this moment, unfortunately, it uh, it escapes me. There's this wonderful program that is uh, sending um, money for the clean water. We actually made a donation this past week, and it's trying to clear the, you know, and make cleaner water in Africa. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, we have to, you know, we went to New Orleans a few months ago. And and we're trying to help this this green. They're you know they're building um, wonderful homes there in in the Katrina district that are all ecological safe and then they're chi- they're cheaper and so that people are going to be able to buy homes. Uh, the the homes are wonderful. They're this green, uh, the way they're building these, they're, they call them you know the green project.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, but I feel that we've got so much to do in this country. I mean, well,
1: I, we do. And in each new day, we have that opportunity. We're going to take a a real quick break here, Corky. Our guest tonight is Corky Hale, and we will be right back on A Call to Consciousness. Stay tuned.
0: Attention parents and grandparents. The world's greatest children's book author, Brian D. McClure, brings you two books, The Raindrop and The Sun and the Moon, both available at Amazon.com and UniversalFlag.com. The entire family has been waiting for these books. By both The Raindrop and The Sun and the Moon by Brian D. McClure, and your children and grandchildren will be inspired, entertained, and educated by the messages and illustrations contained within For more information, go to www.universalflag.com. The universal flag is a symbol that represents our global community, transcending differences while honoring the uniqueness and commonality of all people. The universal flag companies have reached out to over 67 countries because half our world, 3 billion people, live on less than a dollar a day. Brian D. McClure's mission is to spread this symbol globally to inspire and give hope to people in need. Make a donation today to the people who need it most. Help global empowerment prosper through the Universal Flag companies and make a donation now. For more information, go to www.universalflag.com. That's universalflag.com.
1: Hello and welcome back. This is Brian McClure. You're listening to A Call to Consciousness. Our guest tonight is Corky Hale. Corky, you know, before before we went into break, we were talking about uh, the president. President, and this is this is my thought because I take a little bit different view. Maybe I say that you know maybe his job was to shake everyone up around the world. Maybe that's why he came back, and by doing that, it sets us up to really start to make a change in our our world. Everything that's ever happened on this planet allows us to make the changes that we've made in order for us to even have the freedom that we have now. I mean, if you go back and you take a look at history, it's repeated itself a number of times, and right now there are some huge changes that are going on in our world, and not just with our country. You know, we have a number of other countries that are coming into manufacturing power and into fossil fuel power and a number of things. There's a balance which is starting to change in our world. And, you know, all of us have an opportunity to respond in whichever way that we do. And I applaud you again for taking a stand and making a move towards what you believe in, which is going to help our world that's one sense that I get of you, that you've always had uh, a willingness and and, and a wanting to help others. And I have to believe that some of that is because of your upbringing or maybe because of the things that you may have experienced in your life. What do you think about that? (laughs) I'm not sure we have Corky on the line right now. Well, the one thing that... Hello, Corky okay i can say i can open this up to callers you know you can give us a call in at 877-520-1150 again that number is 877-520-1150 my engineer tells me that uh, Corky was accidentally cut off and so we'll open the phone lines up what do you think about the placeholders that we have in our world and about the changes that are being made in our world even as we speak. Um, I think that we're all here for a reason and a purpose, and that each of us has the opportunity to change our world in each new day. You know, I've got Alex with me in the studio right now. Alex, what do you think about
0: that? Well about the president, I believe that nothing changes when people are comfortable. And what I've seen over the past eight, what I've noticed is that in the past eight years, more people that I know that have never been political have become more political. They're more involved in their communities. They're upset at what's happening in our country and they're all standing up to make a difference. And like we all know, when you're comfortable, you don't go after anything. But when you're uncomfortable, you want to change your life, you want to work on yourself, you want to get a better job, and it's the same thing here. He has made all of us so uncomfortable that all of us are now trying to fight for change and to help our country and the other countries that are involved.
1: Certainly I agree with Corky that a number of people around the world have a distaste for a number of the issues that we've created in the world. It would be a wonderful thing for us to be able to spend the millions and billions of dollars that we spent on war to help create uh, education, health care system, uh, food and, and water for all of us in the world. But unfortunately, we're not in that position today and we'll have to see what's coming in the future. The only thing that we can do is to be proactive in what it is that we believe in and to go out. And that's one of the reasons that I've taken up the universal flag and started to spread this throughout the world is because in the long run, if we don't start teaching and waking people up to a larger view of our world into a macro view, instead of a micro view, we will continue to have wars. We will continue to have poverty and starvation and it will increase and increase and increase. And we have global warming now in a number of issues that we're working on. And all of that is as a result of the way that we have lived our lives, the belief systems that we hold. And the beliefs that we hold help to create our life in each new day. If you'd like to join in on our conversation, you can give us a call at 877 877- 877 520-1150. Again, that number is 877-520-1100. You know what? We have Corky we back on off. the line.
2: Hi, we were cut off. I'm, you know, uh, it's Corky.
1: Corky, welcome back.
2: Well, I don't know what happened with the phones, but we were obviously cut off, and I've been <laughs> desperate. I've been calling operator for an emergency. Anyway, here I am. <laughs>
1: Well, welcome back.
2: Thank you. It's really a pleasure to be on this station. As I said, this is, a st- this is the only radio station I listen to.
1: Well, that's excellent. Good. You know, before we were... Yeah. I had I just mentioned I was talking to our listeners and yeah. saying that everyone and everything that's ever happened in our world, we've had placeholders. We've had people who have created some very uncomfortable situations in life, some very uncomfortable ways of living. And, you know, our present president has created a very uncomfortable world and maybe that is the catalyst for our ability and opportunity to change
2: oh i hope so i hope so with all my heart i worked so hard all year and my wonderful husband too and uh we we even had i i can tell you this on this station that's why i like this station i mean if randy Rhodes can say everything i'm not randy but i can say a lot (laughs) uh actually my husband and i had obama buttons made up ourselves this year and so i've been giving them out everywhere when we were as i say we were in new orleans and and in louisiana i'm giving them out we were my husband um perhaps you know a show which actually broke the record on broadway as the longest running musical reveal. It was called smoky joe's cafe mm-hmm. my husband wrote that
1: i knew that he was a songwriter
2: yeah yeah, he wrote that, and uh, so we were in New York a, a couple of weeks ago. He's uh, he's written a new musical, and he's trying to get that going. And so there I was <laughs> at, uh, around Macy's and Bloomingdale's, not shopping, but just going around giving out all the Obama buttons. And I are you
1: sure you weren't shopping, Corky?
2: No, no, you can call my <laughs> girlfriends. You can call. I'm married to the only man that says, "Honey, please go out and buy something." <laughs> Um, yeah. So. Anyway. Well, you had
1: a restaurant when you were when oh, you lived I had in a, New York.
2: I had a restaurant in New York. I also had a very nice restaurant out here called uh, M Bistro, which um, and it had a, an adjacent uh, little jazz club called Corky Hale, Hill, uh, Corky Hill's jazz club.
1: So did you did you like the restaurant business because you had the opportunity to have? Uh, you know, a jazz club, or because you love to cook and you wanted well, people. Well, I do to... love
2: to cook. Unfortunately, my husband, who looked like a war prisoner when I met him forty years ago, I've put forty pounds on him, and he—he. He, uh, so we both uh, we're, we're on diets. I—I'm going to play in. I don't play clubs actually that often, although I occasionally play the wonderful Vibrato, if you know, Herb Alpert's club up on the top of Beverly Glen. Um. And so, um, but I'm going to play a wonderful club in November mm-hmm. in New York called the Metropolitan Room. And so, I would like to get a little thinner and a little more uh, <clears throat> gorgeous.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get ready to go back to New York. Well, you've played in a number of clubs in New York.
2: Well, I, you know, and I, you know, I played. Uh, well, I've played London, and I have played jazz festivals in Holland. And you know, I, I, I have done an awful lot in all those years. That I've been playing.
1: So, what was it like when you played uh, for Sinatra?